<clears throat> so this morning I wanted to speak a little bit about uh, what's called in the Pali language is called Samadhi. And this is one of the three parts of the Noble Eightfold Path. The first one being Sila or you know, the precepts, morality, ethics. Second one being Samadhi. And the third one is uh, wisdom or Panya. And, uh, you know, now you are here on the retreat for a few days. We are already, you know, over the half time of the retreat. And some of you might experience, you know, times when the mind really settles. And that's, you know, what Samadhi is all about. The mind settling, the mind kind of getting still and stable for some time. And, you know, Samadhi is not an end in itself, but it's in service of enabling insight to happen. The same, you know, if you're looking at a, like a, a lake, for example, if the surface of the lake is agitated by wind and waves, you can't see into the lake, you can't see what's in there. You can't see to the bottom of the lake. But if the you know, the surface is really very still, you can see a lot of what's going on down there. And with the mind, it's the same. If the mind is reasonably still, non-wavering, we can, you know, see more clearly the laws of the mind, how the mind operates. And through that seeing, you know, we um, cultivate wisdom because we understand you know, how the mind works and we don't get so uh, identified with it because we uh, get disenchanted with it. And it's like, as I said, uh, I think yesterday, you know, when you are seeing a magician doing a trick and you, uh, one day you get a chance and can look behind the curtain on the stage and you see the props, you know, you can still enjoy the show, but you're never any more fascinated in the same way because the enchantment has been uh, evaporating into nothing, really. Because of just simply seeing with clarity, you know, how these uh, apparitions are created, you know. And, you know, that's what we are after here, actually. And in any kind of spiritual practice, that's what we want to uh, cultivate. And samadhi, you know, or stillness of mind, is a prerequisite for it. And because it feels really nice, you know, we can get hooked on it. And it can be a sidetrack. And then also yesterday someone was asking about the uh, psychic powers, the superpowers, or whatever they are called, the cities, the idis. You know, they can be a side result of, of concentration practice. And people can get very fascinated by it. And then they can waste lifetimes, you know, just doing that and getting revered by other people because they're doing something special. But it doesn't necessarily require wisdom or produces wisdom. It can be a sidetrack. And also all kinds of special, you know, experiences we can have in the meditation through a, a temporarily good amount of uh, concentration. So it... it is a servant, not a master, the concentration. And, you know, in this day and age, you know, actually people would do very well with uh, practicing that. 
uh, you know, stillness of mind because we are all so overly agitated with so much distractions and constantly, you know, on the surface of what's possible, you know, on the surface of the mind, you know, being constantly driven around by what the five senses present to us. And then, you know, the mind is completely uh, engrossed in all of this and there's no stillness and there is very little ability you know, to taste the, the depths of the mind, which is always there. But if we are kind of caught up on the surface, where there's a lot of noise, a lot of confusion, a lot of glamour, you know, it's very kind of difficult to stop and drop down, to drop deeper. And that's the function of samadhi. And it has been, you know, on an ongoing basis translated wrong as, as concentration, which is actually not exactly what the texts support. The texts are speaking about, you know, non-wavering or free from discontent with regard to the world. You know, so there's no more searching on the sense, with the f you know, there's no more searching after to f find something which delights any of the five senses, but like a temporary letting go and dropping deeper. Because there's an understanding, you know, that looking for permanent satisfaction on the sense level is futile because, uh, you know, as we said many times, you know, all those phenomena are impermanent and unstable and they can't really satisfy us. And from that understanding, you know, there comes the ability to at least temporarily let go of that coarse level of distraction and come to a much more refined level and a simplification, a naturalness, which is always there, but, but which easily escapes us if we don't cultivate the capacity, you know, to let go of the sense distraction and come uh, a bit more into the depths. And uh, Ayananda Bodhi was speaking about the five hindrances. This is in the Pali language, there's the five nivaranas, and the exact translation for that word nivarana is actually a wrong walking, a wrong journey. That means, you know, going down the wrong track, looking in the wrong direction for a feeling of, you know, of contentment and a feeling of um, having arrived somewhere. So a wrong walking and, you know, and they're staying on the surface, like going out into flatland, you know, like endlessly, the flatland stretches out. There's no limit to this, you know, but it's a constant running and like a monkey, you know, kind of swinging from tree branch to tree branch in the jungle and never stays long with one of the branches because they reveal themselves of, you know, being what they are, unsatisfactory. So constant running and running and running, never arriving, getting exhausted, getting ever more confused. And uh, I think you know what I'm speaking about. And, uh, and once, you know, there has be, been enough of that, then there comes the time, you know, that we see that it's not really working very well. It's not leading to anything um, satisfactory. So, and then there is this... Uh, capacity, you know, to cut through that momentum and at least temporarily taste this deeper 
stillness, you know, which has always been with us, but we, it's easily overlooked because it's a subtle delight, which we get, need to get, to, uh, get used to it, you know, through training ourselves in it. And then through that um, dropping into the depths, uh, you know, that's the prerequisite for wisdom to be cultivated. And, you know, it's not by kind of adding more to the mess, but it's, it's rather by paying attention to it through mindfulness that then things start to drop away. And, you know, and the word concentration is more like something, you know, which doesn't really convey that very well. It's more like kind of, you know, doing the taxes or something, having to sit down and shut everybody out and just concentrating on filling out forms. It's not like that. It's, it's, it's something, you know, more like uh, understanding the way things are and allowing the mind to be where it is and allowing that to really fill the mind rather than kind of uh, forcefully shut out everything. And, you know, and, and that having that right attitude to the practice that really helps us to align ourselves with that which is a natural uh, a natural um, I don't know exactly what word but I think let, let's say a natural feature of the mind is that stillness, the brightness, the fullness, you know, the subtleness of it, it's already there. It's just kind of laid over by the coarse uh, sense world. And, and then, you know, if we know that and uh, pay attention to it, it just is a process which is a natural inclination which we just have to support and allow by setting the right conditions into place. It's not something you know, we have to take a sledgehammer and hammer away at the world and make it kind of uh, beat it into shape or anything like that. It's not that they just get a headache from that or go crazy or something like that. It's not really what samadhi is all about. And... Uh, it's a, it's a dropping away of complexity and then the brightness and the natural uh, vastness and expansiveness of the mind just reveals itself by itself. Like when you, I don't know if you've been diving in the ocean, you know, if you dive down, there's this kind of vast stillness. It's always there, but if you're not looking there, you're not going to see it. And you might live for many years you know, on, a, on a boat on the top with lots of waves, and you've never seen it, so you think it's not really there, but it is there. And uh, in the scriptures, it's also you know, described as a, as a pleasant abiding here and now. And the Buddha was also saying, you know, that without uh, cultivating samadhi, that the teaching will decline because people will not be able to really understand what's, what's kind of conveyed because they don't have uh, a way to stay long enough so that understanding can arise.
And that's also important. I think, you know, a, a skillful means to help us to develop that uh, samadhi is, as we already said, you know, the refugees, they really help us to steady our intention, to remember, you know, in times of great turmoil, you know, what really matters to us and to have, you know, the examples and the inspiration to, to stay with it. And number two, uh, gratitude is also extremely helpful. Gratitude and, and contentment can really help us, you know, to not get carried away too much. And our teacher, Archon Sumedha, he was teaching about that a lot, you know. And it's also not something that you have to be grateful and you have to be content. That doesn't work either. But it's just, you know, to try to look at what does work in your life or what does work in your practice instead of always only looking at that which, which is a problem. Because, you know, we have that kind of a tendency. I think that's called like the negativity bias. This is an evolutionary equipment, you know, we have and it has done a good job because, you know, it has been keeping uh, the process going but we don't need to necessarily ultimately buy into this uh, negativity bias. But we can know this is also something we have got, but that's not all there is. And just in turning the mind towards that which does work, for example, you know, being able to arrange your life in such a way that you can come here, it's already amazing. And things like that, you know. The beauty of the place, the simple things, you know, that can really help to, um, you know, when um, I think people, you know, if they want to dive into the depths, they take some weights, you know, put on their belt. So it's like that, you know, it's like a, something which keeps you steady. If, you, if you're wavering too much, you just take one of these uh, skillful means, you know, and steady yourself with it. And through that, you'll be able to let go, to hold on to these kind of five cents uh, objects, you know, which are constantly available to, you know, bring more kind of movement and more noise into our lives if we go for it, you know. And it's a default level consciousness, you know, which is normal for human beings because, you know, our main kind of impetus for keep going is desire because the body needs so much stuff, you know, to get, keep going. So the desire world is your number one in our default uh, everyday consciousness. And if we want to develop wisdom, we have to do what we can, you know, to kind of at least temporarily go underneath and then start to discern, you know, how this works. And through discerning it, through understanding how it works, our dependence and you know, our addiction to these uh, amazing shows, you know, kind of gets um, less and less, you know. And samadhi is a skillful means for that. And it temporarily, it can really be uh, you know, leading us to complete stillness. But then when we come out of it, as soon as something happens again, you know, we are back to, you know, back to the desire world again. But we have seen something temporarily, 
we won't forget, you know, so then we come back to it again and again. And then at certain times, you know, if causes and conditions come together, we can have insights which are so powerful that they are permanent. And that's, you know, what's called the stages of enlightenment in the Pali Canon. There are four stages. You know, those insights, they are very, very deep and they are kind of permanent, then, you know, some of the confused mind patterns are cut through permanently, they won't come back. And that's the good news, you know, because otherwise the practice wouldn't really be a progressive path. So, and for those permanent insights to happen, you know, we have to just basically accumulate little insights. And then at one point, we don't know when that is, you know, a shift happens. And the first shift would be called stream entry. The second shift would be called um, once returner and then the non-returner and arahant. So, you know, that's the um, big map, you know, but it doesn't make much sense to kind of strive for any of it because, as I said before, striving uh, in a kind of desperate way is not going to help, you know. But it, it's, a, it's a combination of right effort and right mindfulness and right uh, collectedness of mind. Which means, you know, uh, Sama is the word in Bali and that means balanced, uh, so well-tuned. So, for example, you know, we are called Samanas. Bikunis, bikunis and Bikus, they are Samanas. That means, you know, that they are kind of uh, trying to live a, a life of, of, of balance <coughs> because that's what supports uh, wisdom and insight. <coughs> so there has to be some effort, but it has to be a rightly tuned effort. Just, you know, if you have an instrument, if you tune the strings too strong, it doesn't work, and if it's too loose, it doesn't work either. So it has to be the, what's called the middle way. And that's kind of difficult to find because it's much easier you know, to, to live like this, you know, extremely everything and extremely nothing because that doesn't require much finesse, you know, and that doesn't require much uh, attention. But to really be balanced and be in the middle between those two extremes, that's is something, you know, we have to get used to that. And that's one of the uh, ways, you know, how the Noble Eightfold Path was also described as the middle way between those two extremes, indulgence on one hand and uh, suppression on the other hand. And we want to come to the middle, which is, you know, being aware. And then from that awareness and mindfulness, making the right choice, the wholesome choice. And... I know by myself that's easier said than done, but never, nevertheless, you know, that's kind of the marching orders. And then we do what we can and we learn from our mistakes and that's all we can do. And that's good enough. And I think we're very fortunate you know, to have such a um, clear teaching and have, you know, have the time to 
learn about it and have the time to apply it here in a, in a kind of protecting environment and then take that with us when we leave. So we have another 20 minutes or so for sitting and, and just letting that sink in.
so I have two announcements. Uh, number one is, you know, if you have any questions or feedback for our yoga teacher Christine, there is uh, her name is on the teacher's board, and you can write notes to her, and she's gonna reply to you. And also, now we're gonna have interviews again. Please look on the board <laughs> and consider showing up. <laughs> and. Uh, and there won't be any interviews this afternoon. They will be instead this morning, uh, tomorrow morning, yes. So some interviews this morning, no interviews today afternoon, and then tomorrow morning again, interviews, the last ones. And otherwise there's yoga one and uh, walking meditation, and then see you here again at uh, 10.30. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.